if I would have worn this to church in Pasadena, California, somebody would have looked at me and said, what happened to your tie? In fact, there was a community near us where the women always wore hats and gloves to church. So, as you can tell, we've become a little bit different in our culture. Here at Bergen Park Church, we talk about come as you are. And I just want you to know, if you look at me in the next six weeks, I'm going to be coming as I are in clothes, different every Sunday. And you get to figure out what culture is he trying to speak to. And I get to tell you, it really doesn't matter. Because when we talk about come as you are, it's not what you're wearing, but it's what's going on inside of your soul. Whether you feel connected with God or away from him, whether you're wondering about who God is or whether he even exists. So I I just want you to know that as we are talking about, you know, coming as you are, I'm just using this as a symbol to show you the different cultures that I've seen in a church. And I've got some wonderful stories about how pastors dress, and I will be trying to duplicate that in the next several weeks. I am a beneficiary of Bergen Park Church. And let me share a few ways why, and maybe you got to share some too. But nearly 20 years ago, when Barb and I came here, we said, maybe God wants us on a different career track. Because I had been one of those who said, you go through this process until finally you reach your highest level of incompetence. And that's called the Peter Principle for those of you who go back to the 1960s and 70s. That people rise to the highest level of incompetence. Well, Barb and I looked at each other and we had been uh, on that rising track wondering, you know, how far this would go. And this opportunity came up and a couple people looked at us and said, that's probably not the way ahead. But I want you to know that coming here instead of being evaluated as a pastor... I was accepted as a pastor and loved for who I am. I have benefited greatly these last 20 years. Now, only there's only a handful of you still around, okay? Uh, but, but of those handful, I just want you to know I am and will always be grateful for this opportunity. I'm also a beneficiary because I've watched many of you grow as followers of Jesus, not just through my teaching and personal ministry, but just being in, you know, in this atmosphere. I want you to know that I'm a beneficiary of, of Bergen Park Church because you have demonstrated God's love for me in so many ways. Uh, <clears throat> most recently in the staffing of Bergen Park Church to reduce my load and to help us be thinking about the future. I'm a beneficiary of Bergen Park Church because Bergen Park Church brought me into the 21st century in technology. However, I want you to know the 18th century was a great one and I still miss it. Okay? I, I am a beneficiary and I am a net receiver, not a net giver. Uh, many of you have mentioned to me, though, that you see me as a net giver. In other words, in the intent of affirmation, one or two of you have said, we don't know how Bergen Park Church will continue without you because you're the MVP, the most valuable player. And I hear that and I go, oh man, have you got that wrong? Now, MVP, if it stands for most visible player, you're right. All you have to do is come here and here I am. But MVP, instead of most valuable player, 
I don't think that's true. And I want to use this morning to explain the difference. Because this is a foundational passage to me. Now, it doesn't, it, it doesn't take the weight or responsibility off me, but it gives me a bigger vision of the church and what is the role of the pastor. So in this, in this passage, or in this series of passages called Foundations, this is my story. This is my development in ministry. And it's got to begin with God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And we understand that in this, you know, when we were in Isaiah chapter 55, God truly is amazing, but his ways and his thoughts are different than ours. Secondly, God has a vision in Matthew chapter 28, and the vision is in two words. Two words so I can remember it. Make disciples. Now, it's not destroy Christians. It's not burden Christians. It's make disciples. A disciple is a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. And yet, as we, as we see that, the church has often said, yes, we agree with make disciples, but the way we do it is we put them in a classroom, we, we let them finish the class, we give them a test, we give them a certificate or a diploma, and now they are considered a disciple. If a disciple is a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ, we're always in the lab and we're always in the classroom. Jesus made disciples in a very different way by going to them and looking into their hearts and souls and meeting needs that they maybe didn't even know would exist. And, and so uh, this classic time in Mark chapter 2, he sees this uh, paralytic lowered from a roof that's cut in because they can't get the paralytic in any way into the building. And so as he's lowered from the roof, he looks at him and he goes, my son, your sins are forgiven. And he looks into his soul and he says, you have a deeper need than, than the fact you can't walk. But he meets both of those needs and everybody is amazed. Jesus makes disciples by looking into their souls and meeting their needs. And many years ago, Jesus realized my need for purpose. And I, and when he told me the idea is making disciples, I said, yes, I think that's better than making prophets. P-R-O-F-I-T-S. And there's nothing wrong with making prophets. It just wasn't what God put me on the earth to do. So he found my need of, of, of purpose. And yet, as, as I got involved in the church as a young believer, I, I discovered I was just totally overwhelmed with everything everyone wanted me to do, to attend, to read, to, you know, to absorb, to be involved. And it was, it, pretty soon, it was like I didn't have a life. Or this was my life. And I discovered in John chapter 17 that Jesus only lives, gives us three simple goals in terms of following. And each of those goals begins with his love. That first of all, the, the, the first goal is we'd have a growing love for Jesus, for the Father, and for the Spirit. That it's a growing one, not just a stagnant one. It's not just belief, but, it, but it's an attitude towards him. The second goal is that we have a growing love for other followers of Jesus. That means I must be involved in their lives. Uh, thirdly, is that we have a growing love for those who do not yet follow Jesus. And I want you to know, I can do those blindfolded with my ears closed. Because it comes right out of Jesus' prayer for us in John 17. And it's very simple. And yet when we have those goals, we have to say, well, how do we... How do we progress there? How, how does it move ahead? Eventually, it's just not what these de- uh, basic principles are, but it's actually how we spend our time. 
And in Acts chapter 2, there is this very simple program uh, of, the, of the young church in Jerusalem that has been copied and reproduced ever since. Every new movement of God, both 2,000 years ago and until now, they always reproduce this very simple program. It is four basic categories of what Christians do. First of all, they worship. They brag on God. This is a worship service. What we are doing should be bragging on God, making him bigger in front of us. Next, we are involved in instruction. We learn more about God and how to live as our Lord wishes. Thirdly, we're involved in friendships. And for me, in my life, friendships have always been a model for those who are following Jesus, and I become a better follower by being around them. Then we're involved in what we call expression. In other words, how is our faith expressed? And I know how to say it in words. I've memorized many different approaches to helping make Jesus reasonable, uh, desirable for people. But if I do that, and yet treat a person poorly, they'll say, this is how God's going to treat me too. They're gonna, God's going to treat me just like you. And so you see in that, that chapter of Acts, when they talked about expression, it was an, a, a sort of a natural outgrowth in the way they treated one another. And those who were not yet followers of Jesus in Jerusalem watched them. They watched the believers together and said, we don't do that in Judaism. We do that in our homes, maybe except my teenage son but or, or, or my crotchety grandfather, but we don't do it to one another. And so this has been what we see reproduced all the way through. So now we get to this next section where I want you to understand why the pastor is not the MVP. He is not the most valuable player in the church. And this is how it is put if you have your Bibles open to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because we're dealing with three uh, chapters, of which we will just deal with one of the three. Three chapters about spiritual gifts. I begin in verse 1. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, do not we do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, meaning Jesus. And there are different uh, kinds of working, but the same God. There he's mentioning, in a different order, Father, Son, and Spirit. But the same God works in all men, meaning those who are followers of Jesus. And now, verse 7, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit has been given for the common good. So what is he getting at? You know, what we call MVP, most valuable player, may really be the most valuable physical asset of the church. And it's never a building, though buildings are great. Uh, If I understand it correctly, the most valuable player is the one who influences the most valuable assets. And the most valuable player, as begins in this, uh, in this passage, is the one who's mentioned most often. The most valuable player is the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit has come to live in his people, and therefore when his church gathers together, the Holy Spirit is here. And he wants to work. He wants to work through lives so that lives are changed. So he he begins by saying, if that's the most valuable player, then the most valuable asset are the ones that the Holy Spirit lives or indwells. And that's you. You are God's most valuable assets. And I am a fellow asset. That's my role. I'm more visible, but I'm just another fellow asset. If you get that straight, then you have to understand, okay, as an asset, what is it the Holy Spirit does? And one of the spirit, one of the things that God's Spirit does is He brings spiritual gifts to every believer. And these gifts are God's ways for us to contribute to the maturity or the growing maturity of God's people, which we call the church. Now, I, I want to say this because I have had many um, uh, classes about world religions. There is no other world religion that teaches what we are reading right here, at least none that I have discovered. That you are an actual walking, living, physical demonstration of God's indwelling spirit. And therefore, things are going to be different out of you than, than they were when the spirit was not in you. And so he makes that claim now to each one. The manifestation of the spirit is given. This is not about what your diplomas are or what your experience is. But to each one, a manifestation of the Spirit is given, but it's not given for your identity so much as it's given for the common good of the rest of the church. The idea that you're among a group of Christians is to have this result because God is working through you in his Spirit that the Christians around you, the Christians that have contact with you, will be growing stronger in their faith and more mature in the way they live, more Christ-like. And so he says this in verse 12, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. In other words, the I, the basic foundation here is that within this church, there are many individuals whom God has gifted in very specific ways to build up maturity in the, in, in, in the body of Christ. Now, imagine that you came home to dinner tonight and um, you had filet mignon and it was bacon wrapped and it was Kobe beef. I know, imagine, right? Because <laughs> it's probably going to be tube steaks. But just imagine. Wow, what a special dinner that was. Now imagine that you had it every day for the next month. About day four, you'd be looking at whoever prepares the meals and say, Flaming young again? The idea that he's trying to get across to each of us is that God puts in you as a separate part and yet a bigger, a part of a bigger body ways in which you contribute that, that others cannot. And that you have a very specific contribution that he has designed you to be making. And so the, you know, what's, what's supposed to be occurring then is that if everybody had the same gift, if everybody was pastor teacher, um, Nobody would be sitting around learning and growing. 
would be all sort of, hey, you got to listen to what I'm supposed to say. But instead, God gives many different experiences. So if we are all the same, we'll be overfed in one way, but starved in every other way. In the New Testament, there are four places where the gifts are explained and described. They are listed, actually. And if you do not know what those passages are, or if you do not know what those gifts are, I, I just want you to know that we have here a... a, a uh, this will take you about an hour to go through, and it's very simple to do. But it's just a little outline and a, and a you know, fill-in-the-blank sort of exam to find out what your spiritual gifts are according to what they are listed in Scripture. And it's very important you know the ones in Scripture, that you just don't go around making yours up. God has listed them. Uh, there is never in there a gift of criticism. There is never in there the gift of sleeping in, okay? There's many things that we'd like there to be, but they're just not there. So in those places, it then describes you if you have these gifts, and you do by the promise of the Spirit, since you have these gifts, look at yourself as sort of a tool, and this is the tool to help you find what your tool, you know, what type of tool you are. Um, (laughs) Did you know that there's a rock group called Tool? Not under 30, okay? There's a rock group called Tool. Did you know that? Okay. Uh, someone said he was going to see Tool on last Wednesday night. And I go, okay. I didn't, I'm just not keeping up. 18th century still is good. Bach, don't, don't underrate him. Okay. So um, those gifts, again, cannot all be the same. But the idea is that when your gifts are being used, something is happening. And I want you to know it's not so much what your gifts are, though it's important to identify them, but you have to also be understanding why others may not be benefiting from them. Now, one might be that you're not using them. But another might be that there are some internal attitudes going on. In this passage, it is the only one of the four that talks about spiritual gifts that look at the internal attitudes that, that may be the reason behind why you don't sense God is using you much through the spiritual gifts you're given. So there's several attitudes. There's two that are mentioned right here, actually three, and two that I just made up. But I see them in our church, or you might say the church around the world today. But the first one that's mentioned, you have to go down to, to verse 15. And it says this, as he's described what many of the gifts are. He goes, now, however... If you understand the body concept, it gets down to this. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. The issue here is inferiority of of the gift that God has given you. You are probably comparing yourself with others. You wish you would have the gift of others, but because you don't have those gifts, you feel like you do not belong. Now, in this last couple months, some of our technologically gifted people have gotten together and are in the, in the midst of bringing about a, a, a usable uh, management system for this church. And I'm sort of uh, moving along with them, though I'm behind on a leash. Uh, 
This time the leash is so I don't get too far behind, okay? And, and I'm behind on the leash. And, uh, and yet when they put together this committee, because I'm pastor and I know everything, shouldn't I be on the committee? Well, we want to go just a little bit faster, Jim. And, and we have remedial classes for you. And in my remedial class, last week, I left with two goals for the month. And when I accomplish those two goals, the next month they'll give me another two goals. But they're not asking me on the committee. And they shouldn't. Why? Well, oh man, I, I feel so inferior because I'm not on that co- No, I feel fine. Do you feel fine? Do you feel fine with the gifts that God has given you? You'll know, I want to say, you'll feel finer, and excuse me, that's a bad term, but you'll feel finer if you find yourself using them. Now, now, here's the idea that Paul wants you to know, and so does the Holy Spirit. There is divine placement of your gifts in the body. In verse 18, just three verses later, it says, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body. You didn't earn them. You didn't achieve them. God has placed them in the body so that the body would be built up. Every one of them, and it's, you have the gifts just as God wanted you to have them. And you're to use those gifts to help people grow up, to become more mature. And if you feel inferior at this time because you know others have gifts that you do not have and you feel they're superior, here's what you need to do. Identify what your gifts are. Employ them. And make sure you thank God for them. If he has given them to you, he has a plan and a purpose and a design and an effect that he wants you to have. Now, just on the opposite side of the scale of inferiority is superiority. But before I finish that inferiority, if I understand that no matter what gift you have... You're needed in the body. So I've, I think I've done this before, maybe five, six years ago, but I'd like you just to be, I'm going to have you think this, and now I want you to say it. Um, you need me. Think it. I'm going to say it again. You need me. Oh, I feel so wanted. But now it's your turn to say it. Would you say it? You need me. Now, would you turn to somebody and say, you need me? Now, let's have a raise of hands. If we had a raise of hands, how many actually believe what you just said? If you have that sense of inferiority, you really don't believe it. And God tells you to what? To identify, to begin to use, and to thank God that you have them. If you're thanking God, then you cannot be feeling inferior. Then there's the other side is superiority. You believe that you're better than the rest. And he says, the eye cannot say to the hand in verse 21, I don't need you. The opposite is just as true. The leader believes he's more valuable than the gifted servant. So in Corinth, the issue, the main issue there was they were speaking in tongues 
And, and those who had the gift to speak in tongues felt like they were being used by God in mysterious and majestic ways. And therefore, they were better than the others. The problem that Paul pointed out was, yeah, you may feel you're better because you're able to do something you can't do on your own. But you know what? Nobody understands a word you're saying. So you're just up there dancing. And nobody's benefiting from it. So instead, he said, more important than you are the interpreters of tongues. Friends, gifts of serving, administration, helping, generosity, and encouragement are of great value. In fact, they're more than just high value. They're divine value. You have divine value in the serving gifts also. And so he says this on verse 22. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are really the most indispensable. So when a visitor comes on Sunday morning, not one has come to me, knocked on my door and said, excuse me, I'm new here. Can you please tell me where the restrooms are? Hasn't happened once. Why? You're doing it. You're doing it. You're giving out programs. Let's let's the other thing. You're telling them where to take their children. You're showing them how to get a cup of coffee. And if you're doing that with a good attitude, not, it's down there, but a good attitude, let me take you, then I just want you to understand that you are being used by God and you are indispensable. Indispensable is the word that's used. So, for those of you who think you're hot stuff in the body of Christ. And really for all of us, this is the next phrase we need to practice and say to one another. I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. Your turn. I need you. Say it again. I need you. Now look at somebody and say, I need you. And if you look at your spouse, that's not fair, okay? Not fair. All right. These are the things that were the, the underlying currents right there at Bergen, uh, not Bergen, yeah, in Corinth. Now, let me add two that aren't in here, but are very real for us today. And I get it. Because of schedules in your life and demands on your life, there's also the attitude of, please, not now. Life's falling apart. There's just too much going on in my life. Um, the demands of my time are multiple, and every one of them seems to be urgent. I get that. I, I really understand that, friends. Someone once told me that I was in charge of my own schedule. I said, that's funny. I write out my schedule every morning, and within 10 minutes, it ain't happening. (laughs) How am I in charge of my own schedule? Well, it started with beginning to say no to some things and yes to other things. And when I said no, that I had to say it more than once, twice, three times, and actually believe I meant no, and tell them I mean no, and show them I mean no. Imagine that it's one of these new office buildings being built. And, uh, and and usually when they build a new office building downtown, they have to put a big fence around it and 
because they don't want too many people, you know, uh, involved for safety reasons. They they often panel the fence. It's not a chain wire fence, but a panel fence, and maybe there's a knot hole or two that you can look through. Inside that fence are the hard hats. They're the ones actually involved with building the structure. Outside are the pedestrians who are walking through. And friends, they're just walking by. That's why they're pedestrians. They're going somewhere. And it's not there, but they stop and they look in. And as they look in, they look at the hard hats doing the work. And it's a great job because, you know, those hard hats actually get them built. The, the, the office building gets done. But what happens when we say not now, we understand that we're more taking the, the view of a bystander or, 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 or a pedestrian. And I know they would never allow you to do this, but supposing you bought a hard hat and you said, I will use this 30 minutes every Friday. And after I go to work, I want to come in and please give me a broom and I'll sweep up so that things are ready for you Monday. Would you let me do that? Would you let me do that? Now, if you were in construction, the answer from the union would be, of course not. If you're in the church, sign up. We'll take your 30 minutes. Because it will benefit the body of Christ. The next one, which I hope none of us have, but we can be if we're still sort of wondering, you know, who is God and do I believe him? And am I going to be trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins and eternal life? And, you know, and, 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 and do I believe that he has forgiven my sins through his death on the cross? And you're still working through those things. The other thing would be indifference that may be caused by ignorance. Indifference means I don't care about people maturing in the body of Christ. It's not my worry. I don't lose sleep over that at night. And it's often ignorance because they haven't read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where they understand you have been gifted. It is not just a, it's not a threat. It's not a promise. It's true. It is a fact. And that those gifts are given to help build others, their faith and their maturity so they can be more like Christ. And you go, well, how? it's not easy to be more like Christ than me. Well, I get that. Back to inferiority. But, but more than that, you have to understand what you're giving is just moving them along in a little way. What you may be giving them is divine, not human. Indifference. God builds disciples through other disciples. Those disciples use their gifts to bring greater faith and maturity to others. And God uses both servants and leaders to do that. The third, the final attitude is the one that Paul is encouraging them to have in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, he says, and each one of you is a part of it. There is this idea of eagerness and deployment. That those gifts that the Holy Spirit has placed in you are to be used in very specific and wonderful ways, both inside the church and around, you know, in, in, in the community and other places, but they're to be used by you so that people would be having a better understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what it means to live for him. So uh, if you're still, if you've never prayed this prayer, I want to leave you just a, a very simple prayer. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you the prayer and then you might say, I'm going to think about that prayer. Okay. To be eagerly deployed 
by the Holy Spirit, here's a very simple prayer. Lord, what is your best shot in me to make your people better followers of Jesus? Lord, what is your best shot in me to make people better followers of Jesus? Now, that's informational. Now, let's talk about soul-wise in your spirit. If you show me, I will do it. I want you to know that prayer, though it is simple, is extremely dangerous Extremely dangerous. I believe that God has made you, created you, for a contribution to his kingdom here on earth called the church. I believe that I serve him better by serving others. I also believe that I find myself, and when I find myself in the service that best fits me, that people give a respond because it's the right alignment with God's purposes for my life. His spirit is shining through. Therefore, you have a choice of using your spiritual gifts in drudgery, saying, oh, this is the gift I have and I've been using it for decades and I'm, I'm just so tired of this gift. Or you understand it's transforming. We are transformed more into the likeness of Christ as we serve him with the gifts that the Spirit puts in us. Now, those are attitudes, and I want to just leave you with one activity. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Three chapters. The first chapter describes what the gifts are and what your attitude should be. The third chapter gives a great explanation of how they were using it wrong and how instead instead of impressing people with the with supernaturalness of their gifts there should be a sense of decency and order so that people are not scared off that's the last chapter the middle chapter talks about an activity it's not an attitude it's it's this if i speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love i'm only a resounding gog gong, or a clanging cymbal. If I speak in the tongue of men and angels, if I have the most spectacular gifts out there, the gifts that really are so prominent that people fall on their knees and say, I believe, I believe, I believe. If I have those gifts, but don't love, I'm just making a noise. And a bad noise at that. There is an opposite effect. The catalyst to effectiveness is not just to know your gifts or how experienced you are in your gifts. It is how much you love when you use your gifts. Let's face it. We are in a culture that is both in the church and in the, in the world where we look at talent. We look at results. and We look at passion and energy. If I hear one more presidential candidate is low energy, I'm going to go crazy, okay? Because I'm a low-energy guy. Now, um, these are the things we look for because we're looking at a person. But we who are followers of Christ are learning to look beyond that, learning to look beyond our culture. And if I understand this passage correctly, it's about serving God and others to benefit them. 
rather than to get a name for ourselves. The most valuable player at Bergen Park Church is the Holy Spirit. There's a group here supposed to say amen. Thank you. And they mean it because they've experienced in their lives. And the most valuable assets at Bergen Park Church are you. You are God's asset when you deploy your spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has placed in you for the purpose of building up others. Just Let's just leave it there and pray. Most valuable player, Holy Spirit, no person, no physical human being, the Holy Spirit who is divine. But the most valuable asset that the Holy Spirit has is you. So let's pray. Father, First of all, we have to pray for those who are confused. Who maybe have never heard this before. And so we just do that. We pray. We pray that instead of being confused and ignorant, that they would ask for more. Help me understand this. But we also pray here at Bergen Park Church for those who are at a place of acceptance. Lord, what is your best shot in me to make your people better followers of Jesus? If you show me, I will do it. If you show me, I will do it. Thank you, Father, because I think over the 51 years of being a Christian, I've seen my gifts alter. Some things take a back seat, lower heat. Other things emerge because I see the body encouraged through it. I thank you that as I walk with you, And I understand that you do speak to every individual Christian because you consider him or her a child of God. You let them mature too. And you let them, each one of them, find new ways in which the body can be stronger and better equipped to serve you. May you be doing that no matter how young or old we are. We just say that you are amazing. And that this way that you amazing God are using is found nowhere else in the world. Your spirit in the church is bringing about transformation in lives through your gifts employed. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.